I'll tell you what I like about this woman. She went to great lengths to reconcile her faith, uh, which is in this case the Christian faith, with her sexuality, which is she's gay. And a lot of people, I think, would have walked away, would have just walked away. But she actually did the heavy lifting. She did the work. She's done, you know, therapy. She's done research. She's a thoughtful person, sensitive person, still sort of, um, I worry about traumatizing her by talking about what happened to her. But I sat down. Um, so this woman, Larissa Miller Honeycutt, is married to my uh, therapist, who's Kim Honeycutt. And uh, Kim has oodles of sobriety and oodles of wisdom. Different person, but you know they're, v they're very different people, but I love them as a couple. And so I talk to them a lot about marriage um, because coming up on f our 40th anniversary of me and Lorraine, and I think that gay couples, straight couples have the same sort of relationship back and forth, the sort of injury and repair of the injury and the need for healing and some things that will just never be resolved. And we just have to some sort of agree to disagree kinds of things. A lot of compromise and it never goes away. So, uh, you know, I say this as I'm going to a wedding in a couple of weeks, <laughs> dear friend, but it just fascinates me. And she, uh, thank God for Larissa, she was up for all of it. So we sat down in her office in, um, in Huntersville, there in downtown Huntersville, and, and just hashed through the whole thing of her professional work for years and years, well over a decade, maybe almost two at Billy Graham Ministries, and then her uh, decision as a person of conscience, as a person of faith, to be true to herself, be true to her sexuality, be true to her identity, and be true to her faith in what she understands to be um, Christianity and what Jesus actually said what the Bible actually said before it's been twisted and perverted. If ever there's perversion, it's what's happened to that text. I'll tell you that right now. Anyway, Larissa Miller Honeycutt. And so I just started really studying, wanting to hear from God, not from pastors who are telling me what they think God is telling them to tell me. This is In Her Words a podcast from manlisting.com, featuring one man listening to the stories of real women in their own words. In Her Words, a conversation worth hearing because every woman deserves to be heard. Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to In Her Words, my podcast. I'm Stuart Watson, and we'll get straight to it. Uh, my new friend, who I really respect and I could have talked to for a lot longer. We had less than an hour, I had to like squeeze this in, uh, arranging to, you know, between her schedule, my schedule, Larissa Miller Honeycutt. Where were you born? I was born in a little town outside of Harrisburg, PA called Camp Hill. 
at the Holy Spirit Hospital. So you had the Holy Spirit on you from the very beginning? I like to think so. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, if anything, did your mother tell you about her pregnancy, labor, and delivery with you? It wasn't a hard labor. I was small and... Were you preemie? No, I wasn't preemie. I think I was around six pounds. Um, I think that's about all I know. Did your mom say that she wanted to be a mom? Yes, yeah, she definitely wanted to be a mom. That's good. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. And your dad, is he still around? He is, yep. Are they still together? They're not. How old were you when they split up? They got divorced when I was, I think, a freshman in college. Oh, so you were out. Yeah, I had moved out of the house. You think that's a good thing? I do um, think it made it a little bit easier in some ways, but difficult in other ways because I was away. So it was kind of hard to grasp that they were truly divorced mm -hmm. for a while. And they were very, they got along. So uh, we would still do, you know, holidays and family get togethers, even though they were separated. And so um, it took a while to kind of let that set in that, they, you know, they were divorced. So I'm fascinated by marriage. Okay. What ideas did you get about marriage by virtue of watching your parents? Did it come as a shock they were going to get divorced or? Um, I think it was shocking to me. Um, in hindsight, I can see there were some signs, but you know, I was naive and young. And um, so I think I saw a good model for the most part. Um, of course, there were struggles as well. Um, and I think, you know, I got married later in life. I've only been married for two years. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. The, the hard part's done. It is. <laughs> um, and I did a lot of internal work, you know, a lot of various struggles and triumphs throughout the years. But um, I think I was ready to get married when I did. So. Why did you decide to get married? Well, I fell in love. I think I've always wanted to get, well, I don't know if that's true. I, I'm, I'm a romantic at heart. So I've always wanted to find my true love. Um, and I think the idea of marriage, I am gay and, um, went through quite a, um, have quite a story of how, you know, my coming out story and finally, um, reconciling my faith with my sexuality. Um, so I think, um, once I met Kim and we started dating and we fell in love, um, it just felt like the right next step. And yeah. I wanted to have that commitment and um, just my forever, my forever person. You have to be very intentional. So you just glossed over <laughs> like huge. Yeah. Um, yeah. So figuring out how you're wired, who you are as a person, how you're oriented, mm -hmm. and then coming out, uh, what was that journey like? Like realizing that I was gay internally and then 
yeah. coming out. Um, like, were you in a small town then? Were you in... No, we moved to Charlotte when I was four. So oh, I've okay. lived in the Charlotte area for most of my life. Um, I realized I was gay, I think the first time that it that I was attracted to somebody else. I was 12. We had a church lock-in. <laughs> you know? And it was super innocent. I was a very innocent child, um, raised in the church, uh, Church of God. And... I remember that feeling of attraction. And then once I finally got home, of course, it's morning by this time because we had been awake all night. And I just remember going to the bathroom and crying, falling on the bathroom floor because I knew what the church church's stance was at on that. I had heard enough by that point to know that what I had been told was that it was a sin. And so, of course, I go get my Bible and I'm looking in the back and, you know, you look for like they have that kind of bullet point little guide there of various things that you want to an index. Or church lock ins in the index. <laughs> they weren't. They weren't. And it wasn't anything. It was literally like a, another girl playing the piano on stage. I wasn't even close to her. It was just that first feeling of like attraction. Um, anyways, was going through the Bible and, you know, kind of find homosexuality and read those verses and I'm like oh you know feeling even more shame and um so for a long time I just tried to um I guess ignore it in a way or hope that it's not true um and then in college I um you know had other relationships um experimented was a little bit more open by that point and um knew that that was you know i kind of was hoping that i was bisexual that was kind of the thing that was kind of the label that i was comfortable with at that point um but it was very um like no one really knew my family didn't know my close only the the people at college really knew and even then it was more of a party scene so it was a little bit did you have anybody that you could talk to about that, that you could talk talk it through? No. Hmm. I, I didn't have anybody that I could talk with about that because I knew, I felt like, I felt like I, it, there was just so much shame there from the church and the messages that I had heard. Um, and even at school, I went to a private Christian college um, Lee University in Cleveland, Tennessee, Church of God again, <laughs> you know, and I even remember um, during like convocations, they would, you know, this one particular um, sermon where they were talking about homosexuality and how it's wrong. And, you know, so it was just this constant message of it's wrong and trying to um, internally battle that. Um, and so I think I had become... I think I partied a lot trying to kind of, um, as medicine, you know, medicinal, um, self-medicate, I guess would be the word, um, trying to just handle all that on my own. And I did feel around that group of people that it, it's not that I was gay, but they were just a little bit more free in their, you know, relationships and expressions. Nowadays, um, are there more places for kids, teenagers to sort of be open about this exploration? 
I think there are、um, more affirming. I think well. <laughs> I think within the church, it has a long way to go. I think that there are a lot of spaces, Christian spaces, where it's the same message that I was re- receiving when I was young,、um, and so my heart definitely goes out to those young people who are having to go through similar, have a similar story to mine,、um, and don't feel like they have anybody to talk to.、Um, I know that there are more affirming churches now, of course, than when I was younger. That would have never been something that I had never heard of. That you know,、um, and、um, I worked for.、Uh, fast forward after college, I ended up working for the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and worked there for 16 years、um, as a director and producer. And again, kind of those same messages are <laughs> coming in and. Um, I really kind of settled with. I know internally I am more attracted to women. I know that, like that is not really debatable. But I kind of had this hope that either, you know, God would heal me,、um, and so tons of prayers for that, and um, or um, that I was bisexual, and that if I just found the right guy that I was attracted to enough. That I wouldn't have to deal with anything, and I could just fall in love with a guy that I'm attracted to just enough.、Um, and so I really tried, really tried, <laughs> to my detriment, <laughs> tried to suppress that part of myself. It's like forcing it.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not not healthy. Not healthy. So you're in the position now. Mm-hmm. Of being able to support young women, yeah, in I, particular women and men, you know, to、um, feel affirmed, feel that God loves them just as they are, and that there's nothing wrong with you. Yes, and I hope that there are more opportunities for me to. You know, to do just that,、um, we are involved with our church, a very affirming church called Watershed,、um, and you know, are involved there.、Um, my wife and I, she started and I co-founded a mental health speaking ministry called I See Talk. So I've joined her in that、um, ministry, and we do a lot of work around mental health in general. But of course, it's an affirming ministry, and、um, my. Hope is to direct and create a documentary that、um, that does just what you were saying that that tackles those those hard issues and just talks about the mental health impact on queer people, young and old,、um, that have similar story of going through the church and that you know religious trauma of being told that they're not safe to be who they really are. Don't hope. Yeah, you're going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thanks. I'm going to do it. What happened at Billy Graham? Why don't you still work there? Well,、um, it's I'm pretty sure fairly known, <laughs> or very known, I should say, that they're not affirming, and、um, I knew.、Uh, So I'd worked there for 16 years. The last two or three years that I was there, I was really trying to reconcile my faith with my sexuality. I had dated、um, 
I had dated a lot of guys and they just never lasted because it would get to the point where you need to be, you know, intimate or uh, emotionally intimate or physically intimate in some regard. And I'm just not comfortable with that. Um, and so I was dating this one particular guy and he was great. He was, I mean, perfect, like ticked all the boxes, handsome. He was also a Christian, a believer, um, had a great job, like just all the check boxes, but still he was a guy, right? And so <laughs> I uh, ended that relationship and I was just like, you know what, you've got, I've got to come up I've got to figure this out. I can't keep hurting people because I was I was hurting people. I was going through, you know, many relationships and um, in hopes, you know, that I'd find that right guy. And here was the right guy in all respect, except for that he was a guy. And so that was really kind of a turning point um, for me. And I think some other things that happened in my life kind of leading to that as well. Um, and so I just started really studying um wanting to hear from God, not from pastors who are telling me what they think God is telling them to tell me. Um, so I really just tried to, to seek the Lord. I remember even praying, um, you know, Jesus, I'm not going to do this without you. Like, I want you along with me on this journey. Um, and so I really dove in. I, I just tried to find any resource that I could on homosexuality and the Bible, Christianity, um, from various sources, some affirming, some not. I dove in both sides. I wanted to really try to find the truth. Um, even though I knew my truth, I wanted to find out, you know, what, what these various sources had. So I read books and listened to podcasts and of course read the Bible and, um, studied the Greek and Hebrew of particular words in the Bible to try to figure out if the translations that I was reading were, you know, as uh, literal as pastors that had um, spoken to me or been in church previously had told me they were. Um, what conclusion did you come up with? I came to the conclusion that God created me the way I am, gay, and that God ultimately is affirming and loves me and um, that scripture had been misused to um, hurt people and I'm sure out of fear of those that are using it but <laughs> doesn't excuse it um, so yeah I just I came to the conclusion that it's okay to be me and felt like I needed to leave Billy Graham um, you almost sound like that's an intellectual, like a study. Like, I'm going to study this <laughs> yeah. so hard. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm open to the argument, but how did your head convince your heart or your heart? Con how did you get those two in alignment? Yeah, I think my heart always knew that I was loved, that God loved me. I think it was trying to get my head where my heart already was. And so that's probably why it sounds intellectual because I really had to try to, you know, get my heart and mind on the same page when I knew, I knew my experience. I knew how I felt and I just needed that intellectual part to match up. And so I went and because, you know, Christians, um, especially conservative evangelical Christians use 
the Bible as a weapon against LGBTQ people. Um, you know, even my boss at the time, Franklin Graham, has done that. You know, <laughs> I traveled all over the world uh, with the Billy Graham Association and heard many of uh, Franklin Graham's sermons. And he always makes a point to say marriage is between a man and a woman. And so I'm hearing that over and over and over. And so I wanted to kind of reclaim those scriptures. I wanted to find out if what I was hearing was true. Um, even though my heart already knew it, I needed my brain to know it too. And, okay, in the Greek and the Hebrew, what was it that clicked for you? Yeah. That so, realized that this is a translation of a translation of a translation. This is a essentially a perversion of what was written. So there's six clobber passages um, that Christians or the majority of Christians claim that are talking about homosexuality. Six what passages? Clobber passages. What does that mean? We call them the clobber passages because they use them to clobber. Oh, our, to, uh, to pummel you. Yeah. Um, and so... The pummel you know, passages is alliterative. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. No, you're good. You're good. Um, there's a really good book um, by Colby Martin called uh, Clobbering, I believe. And that was a, a big part of, you know, my reconciliation was that book. Um, and so each one has its own kind of story and background, um, you know, the word homosexuality didn't exist in the Bible until 1946. Um, there is a documentary out. It's still going through the film circuit right now that really dives into... What's it called? It's called 1946. Um, but essentially, there was a translation uh, where they took out a word. I forget the exact um, the word, but I think it was something like perversion or femininity or something like that. And they put this particular translation took that out and put the word homosexuality in. And then uh, there was somebody on the council that had written a letter saying, this is wrong. This is going to hurt a lot of people. You need to take it out. And they actually said, we agree. But by that point, it had already been in print and other translations had already taken their lead and changed it in their translations. Certainly gay people, queer people had been persecuted before this language though. I mean, sure. 1946, yeah. this was right after Hitler had the pink triangle right. and lumped right. people in. Yeah. So pink triangles, Star of David, same difference to him. Mm -hmm. um, so this is just using or perverting or retranslating the Bible to prop up you know, hatred, prejudice, and violence, ultimately. Right. Um, yeah, it's it's really heartbreaking. Um, and uh, I think that... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, Jesus hung out with 12 dudes, odds being what they are. One of them had to be gay. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. I've never thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just in the odds. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It wasn't 10 dudes. It was 12. <laughs> so come on. Right, right. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I think that 
And and that is part of why I want to do the documentary um, that I'm wanting to make is because part of me just wants to dive into the history and um, and talk about you know when when did that get coupled with um, in America with politics and the Christian Church both coming against you know in certain sects um, LGBTQ people and. Uh, yeah, and just the discrimination that um, that LGBTQ people face in the church. And so it's almost an anomaly that there would be gay Christians, you know, and I am a gay Christian. And um, I think that that's just something unheard of in most Christian, uh, conservative Christian circles. But plenty of churches, the Methodists, the Episcopalians, are cleaving. You're getting a divorce yep. over exactly this thing. Yeah. And it's terribly hurtful. And um, the Southern Baptists seem bound and determined to just dwindle their numbers, you know? Yeah. They, um, yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. I mean, they've doubled down. They have doubled down. My understanding was that Rick Warren was in tears asking them please don't do this and oh, really? there it was not lgbtq it was women in service yes i found it pretty interesting really sad that um i believe last year it came out that over 700 sexual abuse cases were found to be at the southern baptist um in the southern baptist and this year... How many of those you reckon were lesbians? I, I'm going to say zero. Yeah, exactly. I would say most perpetrators <laughs> were male. And then this year at the Southern Baptist Convention, instead of talking about, hey, what can we do about this to hold these predators accountable? Instead, they decided to focus on women and how they should not be preaching and shouldn't be on teaching. So... Again, you know, the probably the majority of those 700 cases are women or children, and now um, they're just hurting women again. So it's really infuriating. Um, it's infuri infuriating that I can look on um, my old boss's uh, Facebook. You know, I haven't looked recently, but the last time I checked, he has, you know, six, seven million followers. And if you scroll back, you'll see that um, he talks quite often about LGBTQ at people and um, how it's wrong and yet I couldn't find even one post and again I didn't look at every single one but I did scroll and I did you know the LGBTQ ones were popping out and I didn't see any about the sexual abuse cases within the Southern Baptist Church so um, I just feel like the focus it's a distraction and there's actual um, harm being done in those in those spaces and instead they're um, focusing on LGBTQ people. Did you quit the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association or Evangelical Association or or, or did it, were you fired or what? No, I was not fired. I knew there was a, a good a, a likelihood that I would have been fired had I stayed and come out and, you know, all got married to a woman. Um, so I wanted to leave on my own terms. Um, I didn't want any drama. Um, in many respects, it was a good place to work. And I had a lot of opportunity. A lot of my coworkers, you know, I traveled the world with them. They become 
really close friends and like family in some regard. So I didn't want to, um, I just didn't want to cause harm, even though I had, even though they had caused harm to me, not my coworkers, but just their um, stance on homosexuality. Um, so I left and went freelance. And so, um, yeah, so I um, met my, yeah, go ahead. Was that traumatizing? It was really hard. It was very hard. I think when I left, I um, I don't know that I knew it would be as hard as it was. Um, you know, I started working there when I was 25. Um, I was, you know, 40 or close to 40 when I left. Um, so that's most of my adult life, really kind of grown up there. But I've seen Samaritan's yeah. Purse. I've seen them do a world of good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, for people who have been through terrible mm -hmm. hurricanes and floods and um, for people who need food and clothing, they've done a world of good, but they just have this huge sort of obsession. Yeah, that's just it. And that's that's kind of, you know, working there. It's like you're seeing all the good. Um, and so, yes, Meredith's Purse was our sister organization. But even the Billy Graham Association, they have the rapid response team. Um, you know, going in at a moment's notice to disasters and, and helping on the emotional and spiritual side um, with chaplains. Um, Not to mention, yeah. you know, millions of followers who love their neighbors. Yeah. Who yeah. would do anything for sure. people who are older, for little kids, for, you yeah. know. Yeah. But it's just once they focus on this issue of sexuality, um, that becomes this kind of peculiar blank spot. Yeah, it's, um, that's just it. And so all the good that they're doing um, didn't change how I was being internally, you know, traumatized, I guess, if you want to use that word. Um, now, I suppose you have two options, which must have occurred to you and did. And one is you can just repress it, just cover it up. But that comes at a huge psychic cost. Yes, I couldn't do that any longer. And I think that's, I just had to, um, I had to come out. I had to figure it out. I couldn't, like I said, I'm a romantic at heart. I wanted to find my true love. I wanted to experience that. Um, I knew that I had tried for so long, you know, half, I mean, I'm, I'm only 42. So for 40 years, I didn't come out until I was 40. I had, I had the secret that no one knew pretty much. Um, and I'd sl slowly started coming out to a few friends, a few safe friends that I knew were already, I already knew they were affirming. Um, and then, uh, you know, Kim and I started hanging out and it was evident that um, we both had feelings for each other. So we, you know, basically were inseparable from the time we started hanging out. I was already- <laughs> Where did you first lay eyes on her? Well, I had started doing freelance work because I was already planning to leave Billy Graham. I knew that was kind of my traje trajectory. Um, mm. And so I started planning. And so I was freelancing, trying to get, you know, some freelance work built up. And started uh, helping out at a church that she was at and freelancing there. And we um, 
Yeah. And then she started hiring me for IC Talks, the ministry. So they had some, you know, video needs and, um, it was really cute actually how she was like, just calling me like, Hey, are you available for this? Are you available for that? Um, where we kind of joked that she was just trying to find any way she could to <laughs> spend time with me. Um, and then her, we're both really big into the Enneagram. And so that was something we were planning to do this video project with Enneagram and hurt feelings and having somebody that represents each Enneagram number talking about what it means for them to have hurt feelings. Um, That's smart. Yeah. <laughs> That's fun too. Yeah. Yeah. So it was fun. Um, and then the pandemic happened. And so we never, that project never quite got off the floor, but, um, but it was definitely a, something that brought us together. Oh my God, that means you guys got married right at the end of the pandemic. Right? Yeah, we did. Um, What's so your date? Um, June 12th, 21. Yep. Well, happy belated anniversary. Thank you. And 21 is my number. My, my birthday is the 21st and Kim's uh, is the 12th. So we made it June 12th, 21. So we both got our number in there. How did you tell your parents? Yeah. So the timeline got really sped up <laughs> because I was planning. I, was, I even told some of my friends, like, they're like, we'll set you up with someone. I'm like, no, no, no. Let me leave Billy Graham first. I don't want to date. And so I leave Billy Graham. Well, joke's on me because I met Kim, you know, and so I was like, okay, I got to get out of here. Um, and so it was November. Um, and then uh, I told my mom on the way to Christmas. So my mom was the first were you person driving I, in the car. We were, you, were driving in the car to Christmas to my sister's was she house. She driving or you driving? I was driving, and I knew that I was going to do it beforehand. And so I'm like psyching myself up, you know, <laughs> like 40 years of this secret that I needed to to share with her. And I knew that she would be affirming. Um, she's an interior designer. She has worked and had friends, you know, gay friends. Um, what so. church does she go to? Currently, she's not involved in a church. She has to work on Sundays, but, um, you know, I, hopefully she'll come to Watershed with us <laughs> once she gets, is able to retire. So. so how did you broach the subject? Oh, man, you're making me relive this. I can feel my palms getting sweaty. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Yeah, right. I, I want to hear it. Um, I, I think I was just like, I have something to tell you. I think I started getting teary. We were at a stoplight. <laughs> and I was just like, I think with her, I said, I'm gay. I think I actually used those words. And she immediately reached over and hugged me. We were both teary eyed. Um, she was affirming and just saying how much she loved me and that, you know, it's totally fine. And then I, we had maybe two hours left of the car ride. So <laughs> we just continued to talk and, um, told her that I had met someone that we, you know, were seriously um, dating, even though we had not been dating that long. Did you tell her Kim's insane? I did not tell she, her at that point. She needed to find that out for herself. <laughs> yeah, I, did, I, did, I didn't want to, you know, give too much on that. <laughs> Let her figure it out. Yeah, exactly. You know, she was just really sweet and supportive. And even like the next morning, I woke up and she had woken up that morning and had done her own little homework and came in and was, we had another nice chat. And then I told my dad 
And I told my dad I wanted to get together with him and then it kept getting delayed and delayed. And I was like, I just have to tell him. So I was in the parking lot of Chipotle. I went to Chipotle a lot when I worked at Billy Graham. I'm still at Billy Graham at this point. Um, and was sitting in the parking lot and I was like, hey, dad, can you FaceTime? <laughs> it was like, sure. So I FaceTimed him and I was like, so I don't, I, I don't like guys in the way that most women do. He was like, okay. <laughs> Very Enneagram nine of him. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was like so easy that I was like, why, you know, did you already know or what was, you know? And he was like, no, he's like, you just, he's like, I kind of had an idea. He's like, and I was like, well, why? And he was like, because you dated so many guys and none of them ever worked out. And I was like, ah, okay. And then he was the one that told my stepmom. And so, yeah. Whew. <laughs> so I see you get to feel the relief, the sense yeah. of relief all yeah. over again. Yeah. <laughs> um, so do you still talk to people at Billy Graham? Um, there are very few. Mm. Um, one in particular that I stay in good contact with. Um, but most of the others, there's a few on Facebook that will interact sometimes. Um, most, uh, people have just kind of, you know, ghosted me in a way, I guess. Um, didn't you say that it's kind of your dream that you could have some sort of intimate, like a dinner and have people actually talk to other human beings, like gay clergy mm -hmm. talk to like i'm still the same person yeah i'm a child of god right how's about we talk as like two human beings yes breaking yes. bread yeah that was one of the ideas i'm still developing the documentary but was that was one of the ideas for the documentary was to invite um clergy you know pastors theologians from affirming the, from the affirming side and the non-affirming side and just come together and have a conversation. Um, there's just so much division in the world. And if, if the church can't, you know, um, come together, um, even if no one changing, if no one's minds are changed, but just to come together and see human to human, eye to eye, um, heart to heart, um, that, that maybe it could soften and, uh, help the issue. So I'm working for two gay guys who are filmmakers okay. from the West Coast. And I knew that I was seeing the real them when they were sitting in the front seat of the car going on the way to the to the shoot. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they got caught in like a dead end in like a high school parking lot. Yeah. And one of them said to the other, no, hun. <laughs> and I knew when I heard that hun. You know, it's That's a same. universal <laughs> right. married person's. No right. hun. Right. And I was like, all of a sudden it breaks down yes. all the barriers and go, oh, they must fight over, you know, like who does the laundry or I cooked <laughs> dinner last night or whatever it is, or stop leaving your socks on the floor. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And just realizing that I think that's that's part of the issue is just a lot of these a lot of the the Christian church, um, they don't have gay people in their lives. So they're not experiencing it. They or they don't, don't know. Or they don't know, of course, yeah. What is a hun situation for you and Kim? Oh. Hun, your toothbrush, 
Hun, you're. Hun, you know, I think you need to turn left. It's probably driving. <laughs> <laughs> and Kim jokingly says, "I was a good driver before I got married." <laughs> so yeah, it's probably driving. Is it going too fast? Is it? You know, she has a little sports car. Yes. And oh, it's not a little sports yeah, car. It's nice. It's a nice sports car, and she likes to drive it like a sports car. And um, there's just certain situations where I get. I'm afraid, and so okay. it's not necessarily going fast. Do you grip the seat? Do you make the sound sucking air through your teeth? Uh, yeah, probably more. Do you more stomp like, the floor? Uh, do you like, put the brake? <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably more vocal about it. Oh, do you? <laughs> so I'm like, you know, oh, you know. Now she kind of knows, like she can read me um, a little bit better. But when I was two, we were in a horrible car accident with a tractor trailer. Oh God. And so anytime I'm around a tractor trailer to this day, I kind of hold my breath. And what I like to do when I'm driving is I just want to go past them as fast as possible. I don't want to be beside them. And so she's, uh, after a few conversations, she now understands my fear and so she'll zoom right past them. So. <laughs> what happened in that wreck? Um, Were you in your car seat? I was not. And my cousin Brenda actually put her arm out and kept me from flying through because I was in the back middle seat. I wanted to sit in the front seat on my great grandmother's lap and um, she was thrown through the windshield and didn't make it. Oh um, so God. it's a miracle that I wasn't on her lap. My mom. Do you have memories? I have some memories. I do of it. Yes. Um, I have some memories, this is really strange, but I felt like confetti was coming out of my mouth. But in hindsight, I think it was shards of glass because it was like colorful. You know how glass little shards can be colorful. Um, and then this other really cool part of the story is um, miraculous to me is that my sister and I were, my mom asked us to go stand by the roadside. Um, my mom had to, she was driving, she had to, uh, scar up her arm to break out of the glass because they were stuck. In, she was stuck in. Um, so it was, of course, a very traumatic situation. Um, and my sister and I are standing there on the roadside. She's three years older, so she's five or six. I'm two or three. Um, and I just remember looking up and see ha seeing this vision of my great grandma, like floating above. And my mom, I conveyed that to my mom later, and she was like, "Well, what she, was she wearing?" And I said, well, like a cream, like whitish sweater and, you know, like a dress, like a skirt of some sort. And she's like, that's exactly what she was wearing. So to have that memory. And I even looked at my sister and I was like, Keisha, look. And I don't, I need to ask her if she remembers seeing the same vision that I did. But it's always stayed with me. And um, it's kind of a. How many people were in the car? Um, it was my mom. My great grandmother, me, my sister, and Brenda. I think that's all that was in there. Wow. Yeah. That's and, a lot. Yeah. And so we were all in the back seat, and I was in the middle of the back seat without my seatbelt on. And my cousin Brenda, who's, uh, I don't know, maybe eight, 10 years older than me, stuck her arm out and kept me from flying through the, <laughs> the middle of the car. So, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. So, you know, we all know there's trauma where there are scars that you can see. Um, and that would be one of those where you had the glass and yeah. everything. And then there's trauma we don't see. Um, 
like having to repress who you are for yeah. all those years. Yeah. Um, do you have someone that you can talk through the second kind of trauma with? Yeah, I um, started therapy um, when I was still at the Billy Graham Association. I knew that I needed to work through some of this and um, continue to, to do therapy to this day. And Kim and I, you know, do therapy together. Um, of course, Kim, you know, I can talk with about all this and she also understands it. And we had a lot of similarities, many differences in our stories, but definitely some similarities um, with rejection from the church and, um, you know, for me from from work. Um, I was still freelancing with Billy Graham when I left. They were practically begging me to take projects. I did take a few and then... Um, you know, after I came out, of course, that, that stopped. But um, yeah, so we, we have some similarities there. So. That's strange, too, because if I call a plumber yeah. or an electrician, <laughs> I don't go through like a long checklist of <laughs> like, right. I had a tow truck driver who was playing this religious music station when I had a flat tire on I-40 east of Amarillo. <laughs> he refused to wear a mask in the middle of COVID. Oh, he might as wow. well have had a Trump bumper sticker. Right. But I didn't say, oh, call me the politically correct tow truck. Right. You're just I'm happy like, you have a tow thank truck. thank God yeah. you're here. Yeah. Here's your money and then a tip. Yeah. You know, and I just, I don't understand that. If you need, uh, if you need a very capable producer, mm -hmm. director, what do you care, you know, if they get yeah. the job done? Right, yeah. Why is this litmus test? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. You'd have to ask them, but yeah. they, uh, I guess they just feel very strongly that you can't, they're doing God's work and they wouldn't. You need to open a bakery or a web design and say, we will only serve gay people. <laughs> right, will. right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that is, it was really heartbreaking um, to know that you've been trusted, very trusted um, during my time there um, to do some of the, the larger projects um, and did a, you know, a very good job. Um and uh, to know that you're very capable of doing, continuing to do that. You know, I was gay the whole time I was there. I just hadn't reconciled it yet and, and all that. But um, yeah, so it, it, was, it was very heartbreaking. There's still a lot of grief around that. Um, but it, it is what it is. I, I hate that saying, but, <laughs> yeah. but, but I've worked through, I'm working through it and um, just trying to reclaim that I had to take a break from, I, I started freelancing a lot and was doing well, um, but there was still a lot of grief there. And I was doing, you know, it's hard to kind of, I was a director at the Billy Graham Association. I had worked my way from the bottom to, you know, to one of the higher positions there and to going back into like this freelance pool where not everybody knows your work and you're kind of having to prove yourself again. And it was just, it was a lot for me emotionally to have to go through that and to be reminded when I was doing a position that wasn't, that wasn't to the level that I was at, that um, just kind of reminded of it all um, constantly. So I decided to, to follow one of my other passions, which is holistic health. 
and I got certified as a holistic health coach. And so I'm doing that now and also planning to, to work on this documentary. Um, I've kind of come, come around to the fact that I want to still do video when it's something I'm passionate about. I'm not necessarily interested in doing corporate video for someone else. Uh, but if it's something that I can produce and create and bring to the world that I feel passionate about, then I would 100% want to do it. I very much believe in Jesus. And that was, you know, the main message of the Billy Graham Association. So it was, it was um, rewarding work and that I was passionate about what we were talking about. Um, it's just that the politics and the viewpoints of the leadership there um, you know, don't want me working there, essentially. <laughs> do, do you think in 100 years we'll look at this time with the schism of the churches and all the same way that we look back at slavery 150, 200, 200 years later? I hope so. Um, there'll still be people around justifying it. Sure. But there'll be... Yeah, I hope so. I think that there... Yeah, I think that it's moving in that direction. I, I, I think that, and then of course, new laws come out and particular political figures um, try to take steps backwards. So I think there'll be a little bit of that forwards, backwards, forwards, but hopefully overall we're moving forward. And um, so that little Larissa's um, out there don't have to struggle like I, I did. Um, I have this little facetious thing that I say. Um, if you walked into the Denny's and uh, Jesus was sitting alone in a booth having the Grand Slam breakfast, <laughs> like he does. Yeah, of course. Um, and the 12 dudes were not around. Um, what type of person do you think he would be? In, if you, in human form? And if you dropped him into the Denny's and you walked in, would you like recognize this person and yeah I, I feel like i would recognize jesus and i would probably walk up there and sit down and have breakfast and some tea and we'd have a little chat and put it on his tab <laughs> <laughs> maybe there would maybe we'd get it on the house <laughs> like, like uh there'd be this kind of warmth yes warmth love and um exception he, he wouldn't just sit there staring at his eggs no no i think that he would look up yeah he would look up we would make eye contact and i would feel warmth and love and acceptance and belonging and i would walk over and we would dine together yeah that's neat yeah would you insist on paying or would you try to like Dine and dash with Jesus. Because it's hard to run with those robes. Right. You know? Robes yeah. and sandals. Yes, that's exactly what I was picturing. The cops will bear tackle you. <laughs> it's not even a foot race. Jesus tased in the Denny's parking lot. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Yeah, I'd probably say, let me this you know, let me get this one. Huh. <laughs> yeah. That's nice. Yeah. He's like, no, no. Yeah, and then he, no, no. He's taken care of. He's taken care of. And then he would just like create another Denny's breakfast. Right, I wouldn't even have to order. It would right. just be there right in front of me. Yeah. But it would be what I want, not, you know, exactly. maybe not the Denny Slam. Exactly. Um, what's the secret to marriage with Kim? Oh, what have you learned? A lot of, um, a lot of rupture and repair. A lot of not letting the little things go. 
uh, but to communicate them and to meet, um, just to connect on whatever it is. So, like when my wife wants me to weed the front garden or pick up the dog poop or go to IKEA. Those are what are some of your small ruptures? Oh, okay. Um, well, I'm an Enneagram four. And she's an Enneagram eight. So I'm... I don't know what that means. All right. So... The, I've forgotten. Yeah. So the four is the individualist or the romantic, the heart type. So we all have three intelligence centers and most of us are walking around with two and we've repressed the other one. So for a four, I lead with feeling and then thinking. And then I think about my feelings and I'll feel my, think, my thoughts. And then action is doing is last, right? So that's my repressed center. So I have to try to bring that up. Kim is... The exact opposite. So an eight is the challenger. And so she's in the aggressive stance. So she will do first. She might think about it. And then I think she blames me for bringing up her uh, feeling center, <laughs> but um, she'll, you know, might feel, you know, it's, it's rare. So um, some of our ruptures are just about how we communicate differently and, um, you know, eights can, can come across more aggressive. And so just we'll, we'll kind of play, we we'll kind of play with you, you know, play around a little bit. I'm like, did you hear what you just said? And she's like, wait, what? And I'll say it back. She's like, oh my gosh, that sounds so aggressive. And I'm like, yeah. So we, we have fun with it. Um, most of the time, of course, we've had a lot of hard conversations. We still haven't had like, and don't plan to have like a big blowout fight or anything like that. We really just try to communicate and stay in the conversation and, um, just little things, I'm sure, like any couple would. It's a productive fight. Yeah. Yeah, just hard conversation where we try to stay curious with one another um, and try to stay open to hearing, you know, the other person's perspective. And, yeah. So we try to do Friday night check-ins. And we'll just check in, if, you know, what have I done this week that has helped um, to connect and what have I done this week that has caused disconnection? We usually start with disconnection um, and then do connection. And so we both. Do you have a pet name? You say hun or babe or yeah, sweetie? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if she's comfortable with me saying this, but yeah, babe. We'll okay. just go with that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to pry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not trying to pry. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I could talk to you for a really long time. Yeah, this was fun. I, I appreciate it. And um, if we got struck by lightning today and the only thing that survived is this little piece of digital audio. Oh, wow. What is your legacy? <laughs> Gosh. I hope that it's... Um... Hmm, let me think about that for a second. I hope that it's resilience. Um, I feel like I've kind of lived, you know, if I look back at my life, it's kind of segmented in a way, but I feel like I've come through a lot and, um, just to keep, keep moving forward, keep trying and find people that you can connect with. Um, it's really hard to suffer alone. <laughs> and I did, uh, especially when it comes to being gay and feeling alone in that. So find somebody that you can talk to, um, and just keep keep moving god bless you yeah god bless you thank you mm -hmm.
thank you, Larissa. And you can probably tell, goes way out of her way. And, you know, I have respect for Billy Graham, Franklin, that's another story, but for the Graham family and what they've contributed and, you know, also for what their ministries have given just in straight-up humanitarian effort. But she goes out of her way not to pick a fight, but just to say that your words cause great harm. They cause great trauma and divisiveness within the faith, which is unnecessary. And I think that needs to be said. So happy to give her the microphone and let her say it, uh, along with a lot of other things about Jesus at the Denny's. Thank you, Larissa. In Her Words is a production of the Queen City Podcast Network in cooperation with Balto Creative Media. Allison Andrews at Andrews Creative, Rachel Clapp Miller and Roshonda Pratt are developmental producers. Sally Higgins at Higgins and Owens tries to keep us legal. Our music is A Day at the Park by the group Pictures of the Floating World. Your announcer is Catherine Smith. That's me. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and take a moment to rate and review. It really helps others find us. If you love us, go to our Patreon page at patreon.com. Look for Man Listening. One word, no spaces. A small investment makes a big difference in lifting up the voices of women. A huge shout out and thank you to everyone who has supported me, Man Listening, in her words, and now VoiceLocket.com. Thanks so much. Thank you for your support. We believe one voice can change the conversation. Thanks so much.